0: remain standing and take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. The text this morning will be from verse 13 through verse 34. And before I read the text, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading and preaching of the gospel. Let's pray. Now, blessed God, we come this morning to feast upon your word, Lord, we have praised your name, Lord, we have offered up petitions in faith to you, and now we come, O oh Lord, to sit before your throne of grace and drink deeply of this covenant. Lord, we pray for light, understanding, Lord, we pray that you would instruct us, Lord, address each one's ignorance and stubbornness, any waywardness, Lord, any, anything, Lord, in us, in any one of us, that might hinder the understanding, the belief, and the application, Lord, of this lesson this morning coming from this text of Scripture addressing covetousness. Lord, help us this morning to understand what it is truly to be rich in the Lord, and pour to this world. We pray all of this in Christ's most blessed name, amen. And beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Well, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, For they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable valuable you are than the birds. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies and how they grow, and they neither Toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat And what you will drink and do not keep worrying for all these things, the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your father knows that you need these things, but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom and sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth, moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Well, this parable addresses one of the most common problems I think Christians face all around the world in, in, in every situation and that is will I have enough? Do Will I have enough to eat? Will, will I have enough to wear? Will I have a roof over my head? These basic things in life Jesus here addresses There's an element to this text, in particular the parable that we're focused on, which is called the parable of the rich fool. And the, the strength of the text flows out of the circumstance that Jesus gives the parable. It sets the stage, as we've looked at in all these parables, there's a context to them, there's a reason for the story. And Jesus is capitalizing on the circumstance in order to bring a hopefully greater clarity to the children of God so that they understand the importance of the doctrine that Jesus is teaching them. Here, it's quite obvious, I think, that it's important to recognize you can desire good things for all the wrong reasons. You can desire good things for the wrong reasons. And we can convince ourselves because it's a good thing that we are okay. And Jesus, being the great shepherd of the sheep, is helping his disciples understand that in the kingdom, these The the, the kingdom membership, if you will, this kingdom of God, uh, which is spiritual, certainly is not concerned with physicality, not concerned with physical things, but wants to make sure that the heart is not missed, that the heart is addressed as we consider even the good things in life. Now, we're going to look at this passage that I read in three large sections, and I'm going to break each one of those down. But the three sections are this. First of all, we're going to look at the circumstance of the parable. That's verses 13 through 15, the circumstance. Secondly, we'll look at the parable itself, verses 16 through 21. And then we're going to look at Jesus' ongoing application of the principle or the rule of what it is to be rich in God from verses 22 to 34. Well, let's look at this parable. In verse 13, The circumstance that sets the stage for Jesus to give this parable is he is asked from someone out of the crowd a question about the a legal question or he's asked to do something in the civil realm legally. That's the circumstance. And it's a all too common problem today, even in Jesus's day. This problem is that when it comes to family inheritance, there's oftentimes injustice. I noticed in my short life, I've heard numerous cases, too many, sadly, of of family inheritances going poorly. And it seems to be the case here. I don't think we should jump on this man. I don't think even Jesus is addressing this man as asking a dumb question. I do think it seems to be a legitimate question. This this, this person has a legal issue and he's asking Jesus to arbitrate. Nothing sinful about that at all. But what we see here is that Jesus takes the opportunity to address this man's question even further. That is, he goes deeper with it. It's not just the civil realm. Jesus is certainly not concerned with that, and that's why the question, he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And that's the issue. And what does Jesus say in verse 14? Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus said, that's not my role. I didn't come here to arbitrate in these civil cases. But I will tell you, I will address it. I will address your question on a deeper level. And so what Jesus does is he takes a legitimate concern, a legal issue. He's just in asking for his just inheritance. Nothing wrong with that. That seems equitable, but Jesus goes further and now he begins to warn this man. Notice what he says there in verse 15, and then he said to them, beware, be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even the one who has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Well, it seems like Jesus is answering this person. But notice how he answers this person. First of all, with a great warning, this emphatic warning. Well, beware. You're asking for justice. Nothing wrong with that. But beware in asking for justice that you don't fall into this this pit of covetousness and greed. That you don't become the victim using justice, well, as the excuse to exercise your greed. Because here's what he says. He says, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. He says, the more you have, does it make your life any more valuable? Any more precious in God's sight. Now we as people that live in this world certainly value the skill sets people possess in order to accumulate wealth. We value their opinion about business practices and whatnot and, and people who dedicate themselves to an education and, and a long-term vision of what it is to, to grow in their profession and to become very successful at it and to be rewarded for it and, and nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but yet there's still a heart that's behind all of that. There's a heart there. There are motivations, there are in, intentions that must be examined. And this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus begins to address these motivations and these intentions by saying, Listen, beware. You should be on your guard against every form of greed. Why? Because, well, out of the heart comes greed and covetousness. And all other forms of debauchery and sin and whatnot. And so he sees that it's the heart issue. The heart is the problem here. And Jesus says, listen, examine yourself. Make sure you understand, be on your guard because greed can take many forms. But understand this, your life isn't valued by the possessions you have. You are no more, the rich person is no more important, the one with abundance is no more important in God's sight than the one who has nothing. Just as the one who is infirmed physically is not even more important than the one who is perfectly healthy, the perfectly healthy person is not more valuable to God than the one infirmed and able to do nothing. Now, that's the heart of this. This is, this is what Jesus is doing. And, of course, he's, dress, he's addressing a problem that every generation and every people struggle with. The balance of these things. And that's what sets the stage for the parable. Now, let's look at the parable. The first thing we see in the parable is that it's an analogy of folly. It's an analogy of folly. That is, Jesus is going to use the parable to set forth to, to his disciples and to us this morning. Here's what folly looks like. And of course, we know that Luke in the opening chapter of the gospel was commissioned by Theophilus to write... A history of the ministry and work of Jesus Christ from his incarnation all the way to his crucifixion. And from his crucifixion, he writes all the way to the end of Paul's life in the book of Acts. And so he's teaching Theophilus. He says, this is what folly looks like. And here's what he does. He begins the parable. He says in verse 16, he says, and he told them a parable saying that the land of a rich man was very productive. So all we see in verse 16 is what? There was one who possessed land. He was rich. Now being rich doesn't make you a fool. Just as being poor doesn't make you a fool. And being rich doesn't make you wise. Just as being poor doesn't make you wise. You can be rich and be a fool and you can be poor and be a fool. The point that Jesus is making here legitimately as there was this wealthy man who obviously either owned a bunch of land or he had leased this land and he had been blessed with abundance. What does the text say? That the land of a rich man was very productive. The idea that we're being given here is that the land had produced, there's a baseline of production that the land typically produces. But in this growing season or harvesting season, he is over and above that baseline. He has abundantly been blessed with much produce. Anything wrong with that? Not at all. This is common. We call these blessings, right? But you notice in verse 17, now Jesus begins to sort of open up who this rich man was. How does he do this? He says, well, he began reasoning to himself. What did he say? He says, what shall I do since I have no place To store my crops. Notice this man begins to contemplate a very legitimate question, or at least I believe it's legitimate. And there's plenty of commentators that will take him to task on these things, but I don't know how the uh, farmer or landowner could say it any plainer than, well, what am I going to do with all of this produce? That seems to be a very legitimate question. What am I going to do with all of this? Abundance. And of course, he's been taking the task by saying, "Well, the Lord has blessed me." He didn't. He didn't say the right words, and all. I don't think that we should focus on that. I think I, I, that may be true, but I don't stand up here and say, "Hey, look at the Lord's jacket I have on." Or I say, "Look at the Lord's jacket you have on." I mean, we don't talk that way. We say, "Look, look, look at my jacket." I mean, so there's common language here that we use that I think Jesus is using because the deeper things is what... these fixing to penetrate the heart in a deeper way. It's not, it's not just in saying, what am I going to do with these crops? This is a very legitimate problem. It's a good problem to have, actually, if you're in business. What am I going to do with this abundance? So he's thinking through these things. Now, what do we know is that he comes up with some wrong conclusions, we come, he, come, he makes some wrong conclusions to whatever it is he thinks and ponders in his own heart. And look at verse 18. And then he said, notice this whole thing is this, uh, this parable where this, this landowner, this rich person is talking to himself about all of this abundance, this blessing. And, he, and, and then in the end, God speaks to him. And that's unique for a parable where God speaks and says something. But look what he says in verse um, 18, he says, and then he said, this is what I will do. So he comes to a conclusion, he says, I will tear down my barns, I will build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many good things. So you have many goods laid up for you for many years to come. Take your ease, eat and drink and be merry. So what do we see there in verse 17, 18 and 19? Well, he has a legitimate issue. He asks a good question, but he comes to all the wrong conclusions. Now, remember, it's the analogy of a fool. It. it, it doesn't mean this guy was a buffoon. It just means that he, he, he's immoral in the sense that in his heart there doesn't seem to be any possession of the kingdom of God. He doesn't seem to possess genuine faith. And so what he does is he reasons from out of the abundance of the heart is, well, himself, And all he's thinking about is not this blessing, but I have now enough to sit back and do nothing but to indulge myself. It's important to recognize, brothers and sisters, that not all people can handle abundance, not all people can handle wealth. And therefore, God does not give all people wealth. Some people he gives wealth to because he's working in them to do great and mighty things, not only for themselves because it comes through means. It doesn't fall out of the sky. It usually comes to people that have dedicated themselves to, uh, to proper management, education, profession, um tutorship or whatever the case may be to become very skilled and useful and valuable to the people around you willing to pay you for your services and you've done well with your money but so you not only are blessed yourself but you're able to bless others too particularly the kingdom of God the church those in need it's not just church people I think it'd be very sad if we were so limited in our circle of, our sphere of influences that we don't know someone that might be in need and it has nothing, no connection to us whatsoever. But that we might, in the name of Jesus, aid that person. And there are some people that are given wealth to expose them. Expose them. Nothing wrong with the wealth whatsoever. In fact, Paul is often misquoted where he talks about the love of money is the root of all evil, and people say, See, money, money's the root of all evil, but that's not what Paul said. Paul said, The love of money is the root of all evil. I don't know about you, but I've been blessed myself and my family from people who had, well, plenty. What a blessing. I'm sure many of you have too. Churches have been blessed from men and women and families that have been blessed in abundance. Missionaries, mission societies. I mean, you could say particularly as, as, as the Lord funds certain ministries and as that person goes out and the gospel is preached and people are converted, look how valuable that, uh, that profession of faith with those abundance and the blessing, that blessing continued on in a very spiritual way. Doing what? Seeing the gospel preached and seeing people come to Christ. Let me give you. uh, I don't think this is being sensational in any way, but I can tell you what I know. I know uh, folks who have been very dedicated to giving, giving to uh, mission-minded people. When I say mission-minded, I mean those that have a particular focus. I'm not talking about those who like missions. That's that's not that person. I'm talking about someone who has the interest in it. There's a labor involved in it. Now, it's not just the idea of it. They're putting their hands to it, okay? They, They have this avenue of ministry where they are focused with these activities of presenting the gospel and helping people come to Jesus Christ to know him as Lord and Savior, And I knew individuals that gave faithfully to those ministries. And I've seen families, I've seen families come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you say, that's fantastic. They put their faith in Jesus. Wonderful. No, you don't understand that in the conversion of these husbands, and wives, these men and women, alcoholism was destroyed. Drug abuse was destroyed. Gambling was destroyed. Addictions destroyed. That Christ came into their families and he destroyed the grip that the devil had on that family the darkness that had encompassed that family that would have been passed down to the next generation so easily through corrupt hearts, that the gospel of Jesus Christ had penetrated them and brought a great, great light of salvation, and not just the husband and the wife, the father, the mother—they come to Jesus Christ, and the kids could see the conversion of their families. I mean, they begin; they they started a new life, and they begin the the, the grip of darkness had been shattered and sin, the chains of sin had been broken. And now you see the effects of the giving of that person with abundance being flowed out spiritually to several generations. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I mean. And we're gonna look more to this when we get to Jesus's statement of what it is to be rich toward God. But notice, but this this rich landowner who's been blessed with abundance and he doesn't know what to do with it. So you can, you, you, well, let, let's work through there and then I'm gonna give you a few things to hang your hat on as far as application. But notice he's, he just seems to, be befuddled with what to do with this abundance. And so he begins to reasoning with himself, verse 17, verse 18, he says, what will I do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. In verse 19, I will say to my soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat and drink and be merry. Well, let's look at his deficiencies, the folly. The folly seems to be, number one, he didn't understand blessing. He didn't understand blessing. The the fool doesn't know what to do with the good things of God. Doesn't know what to do with the good things of God. The fool doesn't know how to manage even a good relationship. Why? They typically destroy it. They destroy it, how? With their foolishness, their selfishness. What else? Well, I mean, I want to, for the sake of, of the, the fool himself, but notice, I mean, brothers and sisters, that's why Proverbs talks about the stubbornness of a fool, uh, let me, I'm going to give you an example, even though I wasn't intending even, even addressing anything like this in the parable. But understand, what is the, the, the stripes are for the back of a fool. Why are, stripes for, why are stripes proper for the back of a fool? Well, because of how stubborn they are. And nothing changes them but the stripes, the punishment. Meaning they'll destroy every relationship they have because it's not their way right? It's their way. It has to be th- their idea. It has to be their conclusion. It has to be their understanding of it, it as you have to conform to them. And, and they're masters at destroying relationships. They're masters at destroying, well, everything they put their hands on. That's what a fool does. So it's not an intellectual problem. It's a, it's a heart. It's a moral problem. You can be brilliant and still be a fool. So we see he doesn't understand blessing. He doesn't know what to do with it. James chapter five says, well, what should those who are suffering do? Pray. And then he goes on to say, well, what should those who are glad do? Sing praises. So what should be the first thing this blessed person do when he realizes that he has exceeded his baseline of productivity, now he is in the, in the category of great abundance, praise God. He should praise God. And praise God comes in the form of, of singing praises, comes in the, in, in the form of worshiping God, praising him, glorying in him, Saying, thank you, O Lord. I mean, listen, we've already read the text. We already know that Jesus has promised. He says, listen, do you not know your Father's gonna give you all the basic things of life, but what happens when they are exceeded? What is your responsibility? But to praise him even more. More, not less, Not less. You know, there's really two extremes. You have those who suffer greatly, they pull back from the church when they really need the church more than they've ever needed the church in their lives. The comfort. I mean, what should our role be to people who are suffering in our congregation? Comfort them. Comfort them. Love on them. Because that's what a hurting person needs. They need love. They need comfort. But what about a person who is, who's joyful and glad and all of these things? What should we do with them? Well, praise God with them and be thankful for them. Say, man, Lord is blessing you, guys. Praise God. Look what he's doing. He'll say, yes, yes, I don't deserve it. No, I know you don't deserve it, but praise God. He is blessing the labors, the works of your hands. He's blessing these de- decisions that you've made. And he's exceeded all those things. You praise God with them. You know, we raise a generation of children, and I don't mean to cast stones where stones don't need to be cast, but I do think parents do a disservice to the children when they don't teach the children to be happy and joyful for their siblings or cousins or whoever when they have a birthday party. They, you know, it's not their birthday party. And, you know, it's like, well, we got to buy them all gifts because they'll be, they'll throw fits and temper tantrums. Well, so what? And I mean that. They should be instructed and taught to love their sibling, right? Rejo- you're going to learn the joy. You're going to rejoice with your sister and your brother. You're going to be, you're going to spend the day being thankful for them because that's what we do as those who love God. We learn to rejoice with our brothers and our sisters who are being abundantly blessed. Praise God, brother and sister. You have been given these things. That is, that is awesome and I'm gonna be praising God for you and with you. He doesn't do this. This man's certainly all about himself so he didn't understand blessing Well, secondly, I think he failed to understand his purpose in life. So he didn't understand God's blessing. Secondly, he he just doesn't seem to grasp his purpose in life. And that's where every Christian needs to have this sorted out. Our purpose in life. Well, let me ask you this question. What is man's chief end? Right. Right. Isn't that your purpose? That your chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And he doesn't understand this. He turns inwardly and he turns selfishly into himself. He's not considering the glory of God in these matters. He's not considering this abundance of blessing. He's considering this an opportunity to Well, to do nothing, to be lazy, to spend on himself as if he's the only one in existence. That's what he says right there in verse um, uh, 19. He says, my soul, you have many goods laid up for you for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Is that what God's purpose is for him? Is that what God's purpose is for us? It's just to get get you enough. And now listen, let me say this, because I'm not just talking about the one who says, okay, I've got $3 million in my 401K. I'm on cruise control. No. Because listen, we are dealing with now people that say, look, I only need about $10 a a week because I'm just going to sit and play video games all day. You see the generation, it's a generational difference. But it's the same problem. It's selfishness and greed. God created us to have purpose, He gave us Himself as the guiding light to that purpose, that we would glorify. God in Christ is working in us what? That glory, that eye to the glory of God, that we would glorify Him, that we would have our our being wrapped up in Him as our chief treasure, and that all that flows to us is our chief happiness, and that that is our purpose. What can I do with these things? Thy kingdom come, Lord. Your name be hallowed in me. Remember, Luke has just taught us how to pray. Lord, hallow your name in me. Hallow your name around me. Lord, how can I glorify you? Lord, your kingdom come with this great abundance. What can I do to bless your name and to bless my brothers and sisters? And still still be what? Blessed, because why? He's already achieved above the baseline of productivity. He already has more than he needs. And that's why Jesus, that's why he uses this word right there in verse 18. Look at it. I will store, store all my grain and my goods. I will hoard it. Now, you can see why Jesus then begins to use the illustrations he used after the fact about the raven And about the lily, for they store nothing. But let's continue on. So he doesn't understand his purpose. His purpose, first and foremost, is to glorify God and to enjoy him. And out of that flow, all of these other kingdom responsibilities and duties. We have kingdom responsibilities, brothers and sisters. I want you to know that. You were not saved to be autonomous. You were not created to be autonomous. Man is a very social creature. Now, some of us struggle with that more than others. Nevertheless, we are still social beings. And we have purpose and we have obligations and responsibilities, first to ourselves and our families. Right? I mean, Paul addresses this when he says, Listen, the one who doesn't even care for his family, right? The one who professes to know Jesus and doesn't take care of the needs of his family is worse than an unbeliever. So we have personal obligations, what? To ourselves, to our families, and if there are opportunities, right, to our brothers and our sisters. The tithing, the giving, the supporting of, of these ministries. Listen, brothers and sisters, no church can do it all. Chalcedon, well, I don't care if we grow three times the size of this, this, this sanctuary here, we're never going to be able to do it all. And there are ministries, there are organizations worthy of our giving. I'll just mention one. And I've already mentioned this one several times over my time in this pulpit. And that is those organizations that address human trafficking. We don't have the resources to do that. We don't have the manpower we don't have enough manpower to, we, we're not even able, skilled wise. And we may have all the heart in the world to want to, but still unable to. But there are people that are dedicated to that, to that ministry of rescuing, Right? deconstructing the garbage they've gone through and building them back up in the gospel, building them up in the kingdom of God and and, and showing them and reaffirming the love of God and the purpose of God in their life. We can support them, right? We can do that. We can help those people do godly things because we're never gonna be able to touch that realm in this church, I don't think. And there are other things, but you could see there's, there's purpose. So he didn't understand God's blessing. He didn't understand his own purpose. And secondly, he certainly didn't understand time. Time. Time is the one resource, brothers and sisters, you cannot get back when you spend it. You can, you can spend your money frivolously and you say, you know what, I... I, I I shouldn't have spent that $50 on that stuff, but you know what? Like I can make that back up. You can't do that with time. You, 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 listen. I think all of us would hang our head in shame if we thought about how much time we've wasted. Now that's how much we've wasted. That's not just misunderstanding. Misunderstanding because we, we probably have a good handle on time. We've only been given a certain amount of time, some more than others, but yet none of us know when that time is up, right? We don't know that. So we're not just talking about wasting time. We're talking about how we go to spend our time, how we plan to spend our time, and, and notice, and again, this, this guy, he, he thinks he has all the time in the world, like most of us, like most of us. I can, you know, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll change. I'll change. I'll change. I'll, I'll give. I'll give. I'll give. And never, ever, ever get there. Because number one, there's no intention to get there. We do things that are intentional, things that we intend to do, things that we plan to do, things that we set out to do that we know are good and, and, and valuable and proper in the kingdom of God and toward our own sanctification and the glory of God. What we, we purposely intend and lay that out there, and what do we do? We do it. He didn't understand God's blessing, he didn't understand God's purpose, and he surely didn't understand God's timing brothers and sisters we all have a certain amount of time for us to glorify him on earth i used to say it this way you've only been given so many lord's days you've only been given so many you've only been given so many opportunities to bless someone You've only been given so many family members to bless. You've only been given so many opportunities to display the love of God flowing out of your heart and into that situation. You've only been given so many opportunities. And when they're gone, they're gone. Now, let's look at the tragic, uh, the, the, his reward. What's this reward of folly here? And there could be some other things. I mean, we could talk about his, his willingness to, to control the situation. I mean, we could talk about other things. But those are three primaries that we see from the text. But notice, notice the reward of his foolishness. Verse 20, and God said to him, you fool. Now, God calls him a fool. Why? Because he didn't, he didn't take to heart any of the blessings that God had given him in this life. Those things that God gave him in order to spur him to greater worship and praise and, Lord, Lord, you are so faithful. Greater testimony, right? Greater testimony. To those who have been given so much, have a greater responsibility to what? Testify to the Lord's goodness and greatness. You fool. You not only didn't understand this blessing, you didn't understand your purpose. You never caught on. You had more than enough to take care of yourself and your own family. You had abundance. I gave that to you. Hey, listen, it's the land. Who You think just throwing a seed in the ground is going to grow? It's going to grow. You think that? You know, we were talking about farming earlier this morning, about how easy it is. You think you can just go throw some seed out there? I don't know if you've been, if any of y'all had any contact with a farm life, that's hard work. That's hard work. Because you can throw seed out there on the ground, you can fertilize it, you can do all kinds of things, you can spend a lot of money and get nothing in produce. I know. Sometimes the dirt just is no good. And you've got to spend a lot of money to amend that dirt to get it where it'll produce a crop. Brothers and sisters, God causes things to grow. And he had caused whatever skill sets this man used in management, which you have to use to employ these skill sets of weeding, fertilizing, getting all the obstacles out of the way so the the crop can produce, go back to Matthew 13 and think about the parable of the sower and then what you have abundance in crop, but who who causes it to rain on that crop? God. Who causes that seed to burst forth in that fertile ground? God, who put that fertile ground? God blesses those labors, even of the unjust, to his own glory. And now this fool is going to stand before the tribunal of God and have to give an answer for not blessing God for that abundance. He robbed God of his glory. He says, you fool, you didn't understand your purpose and you certainly didn't understand you had a limited amount of time to live and enjoy even to good things of life. Are not forever, not in this world. He says, This very night your soul is required of you, and now you will. Own now, now, who will own what you have prepared? That's the, ever, that's the thing, right? That's what Ecclesiastes 5 says. Go back to this afternoon. Read Ecclesiastes 5, and you'll read about the vanity and the foolishness of folly, while at the same time, the preacher says, and we should enjoy all of the good things of God legitimately, giving him that glory and praise for those good things. He says, you are going to leave all of your wealth to others. All that you have labored and worked for in this life are gonna be left to others. Now, brothers and sisters, listen to me. And I may have to end on this point. It's gonna be a shame for any of us To get to that last day of our life and realize all we've left anyone is a car, a truck, a gun, a life insurance policy. I'm not saying those things aren't good, aren't, well, not valuable to the person, but what we ought to be working to leave behind is a spiritual heritage. A spiritual heritage. I do not want my children. The only thing that I want to hear my children say when I'm dead and I won't be able to hear it is that my daddy loved the Lord and he he taught me to love the Lord. That's all I want to hear. That's it. I have spent my life with purpose if I do that and brothers and sisters that has to be our goal But what Jesus is saying here: this fool is now leaving all of this stuff that he that consumed him, that that just absolutely dominated his time and life. He gave so much effort and energy over to this life and managing this abundance that he neglected his own soul and he neglected the spiritual inheritance to his own family. He is gone. And once you're gone, it's over. Remember the rich man in Lazarus? Oh, send, send someone back to my brothers because if we send a preacher back from the dead to my brothers, they won't come to this awful place. What did Abraham say? If they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if someone were to get up from the dead and go tell them. Meaning, the scriptures. The scriptures. I, I, listen, I enjoy technology. I love these devices, my iPad. I mean, I can, you know, uh, tap. I think that's what you tapped a little link. You know, you go to all the different links and stuff like that. I, I love that thing. But you know what I miss? I think there's something to sitting in front of your children and the family with an open Bible. I don't know. I'm I'm probably making too much out of it. But I think you get what I'm saying. If I'm on my device, how do you know I'm not on some social site? Right? If I'm on my device, how do you know I'm just not just reading text? How do you know? I can't check my Facebook from this book. I can't check my text from this book. I can't get an email from this book. But I can read about the kingdom of God in this book. And I can learn about the will of God from this book. And I can learn about myself from this book and the things I should be doing. Brothers, listen, I'm not using myself, I'm a terrible example. But I know I'm making a connection with you, but we have got to get back to understanding that our lives are not just consumed with goods and material things. Now, just because of where we are in this society and as a church, I have determined to go through the rest of this text and spend some time there, particularly to Jesus' application because what did he say there in verse 21? He says, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. This fool, though with abundance, was not rich toward God. He was impoverished when it come to God. He was rich to the things of this world. He would have been admired. He he could have been on the cover of Atlanta Magazine. He could have been interviewed about, hey, how did you get this ground to produce such a harvest? He could have been the guy for a season. But he was poor toward God. And God calls him a fool because he allowed the good things of this life to get between him and God. And he made the good things in his life, listen, his God, his idol. That's all that mattered. How do I store this up so that I have it forever? So that I can eat and drink and party and be merry and not have any problems whatsoever? How do I store these things up? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down these old barns. I'll build bigger and better ones. I won't have to do a lick after that. And I'm not gonna go to church because I asked for money. And I'm not going to go to those mission conference because they're going to ask for money. It's mine. You know, you take the wealthiest men in the world, I'm, you know, these billion, these 150, you know, 500 million billion dollars. Do you know they have more money than most small countries at their disposal? I forgot to percent like 30% of the more, they have more money than, than like 30% of these small countries. That means one person could finance, even in abundance, a country. Let that sink in. What, what could we do? And now you can say, oh Lord, what would I do with $500 billion? I don't know. I don't know that I want to know because I feel like the proverbial writer that said, Lord, don't give me so much that I would forget you, but don't give me so little that I would steal and defame your name. Let's pray. Father, these simple lessons are convicting and so applicable to us. But more than anything, oh, Lord, we don't want to be poor in God. We don't want to be poor in the Spirit. We don't want to be poor in the kingdom of God. Oh, Father, I pray for every one of us here this morning. I pray that we would assess ourselves, that we would take an inventory, Lord, of not just our life, but, Lord, of our intentions, our motivations, those things that, that Lord, we f- we think is our purpose. And how does that purpose manifest itself in our lives? Lord, ask, we ask, you would come and even by your spirit would spend this this day impressing upon us, Lord, this inventory. Lord, let not one person under the sound of this preaching this morning be impoverished toward God Give the gift of faith, give the gift of repentance, Lord, give the power of your spirit, Lord, awaken who you need to awaken. Lord, call who you need to call. Lord, do a great and mighty work so that we will not be a rich fool. And we pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.